Well, good morning, everybody from around the world. This is a great day to join with us. It's a little bit cold, but sunny here in Stockbridge. I'm Father Chris Alar, and welcome to the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. You know, for a long time, you've been hearing me talk about going back to seminary and the joy I had in seminary, you've heard me say, and when I did it, when I went to seminary, I had this real motivation to share this with everybody, share my notes. And we've done a lot of good talks on teaching, uh, history, uh, Inquisition, and the Crusades. We've done things on divine mercy and the sacraments. But now I really feel it's time to get into moral theology. Moral theology is a huge part of a priest's formation and teaching. We had four semesters just in moral theology in addition to the other classes that we had. And today, cracked out the seminary notes with the help of one of our theologians here, went back and we're gonna be talking about a critically important topic, the dark night of the soul and also the census and tell you what it's about and are you going through it? You know, we have to look at the difference between depression and the dark night. Are they the same? Are they similar? Are they different? And what you need to know to survive it. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us for all those who are struggling in a dark night, whether it be a struggle with their faith, a struggle with their prayer life, or even if it is from the evil one in the form of depression. We ask, Lord, that you help us to survive, to persevere. And Mother Mary, that you guide us always to your Son. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you again, everybody. As I said, Tonight is the dark night of, the, or today is the dark night of the soul, but it's also the dark night of the senses. Okay, so as you can see now, this feeling that everybody will get of spiritual emptiness, being abandoned by God. Why me? God, where are you? My prayers don't feel like they're doing anything. Are they being answered? Does God care about me? He's got so many other things to worry about. This is all natural. And this is a, a process in the spiritual growth. You know, why are things dry? Why have I lost consolation in prayer? I don't feel that warm and fuzzy. What's happening? Um, I seem to get nothing in prayer. Let's look at our next slide. Well, I want to start right off the bat with the big hitter. Mother Teresa. All right, Mother Teresa, when the world looked at her face, it saw joy, pure joy, simple joy. But then in 2007, 10 years after her death, her letters, her private letters came out, and it was scandalous to the world. <gasps> Mother Teresa didn't have faith. Mother Teresa didn't believe. The entirety of her public ministry and during this entirety, for the, for the whole length of it, here she was, this founder of the Missionaries of Charity. She endured unceasing feelings of desolation and abandonment by God. Now, the media twisted that 
and turned it against the church saying, see, your own one who you call a saint has no faith. Actually, it took more faith for her to get through that dark night than anything. 40 years of it. And so we're going to talk about what that is. Now, uh, she said, I am told God lives in me. This is her own words. I am told God lives in me. This was 1957. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. How do we explain this? I bet you have gone through this at one time or another. I have. We all have. All right. So for some, as I said, this became a scandal. But for those familiar with what we're going to teach you, you are getting an entire semester of moral theology right now. Because I, like I said, cracked open the notes, went back to the books, talked to theologians we have here at, uh, at the shrine. We are going to show you that, that if you're familiar with the stages of spiritual growth, you'll realize what Mother Teresa went through was actually an extreme testimony to her holiness. How is that possible? That's the paradox. Okay, now, in those times of desolation, she lived what John of the Cross termed the dark night of the soul. Okay, now, this was the title from a poem he wrote. Kind of interesting, isn't it? He wrote a poem. Now, every Christian on their way to God must pass through a dark night. You will not avoid it. So we might as well put our seatbelts on, <laughs> buckle up and figure out how to survive it and how to grow from it. All right. It is necessary. All right. It is necessary. Every fallen human being, and we all are, has disordered desires and attachments. We all struggle. Satan knows how to get you. He knows your Achilles heel. For some, it's pride uh, and, and need for attention. Others, it's sensuality and lust. For others, it's greed and envy. Whatever it might be, Satan will strike. Now, we have, this is, this is what's important because this is the result of fallen nature. This is why we need baptism to get rid of original sin, but it doesn't, baptism does not wash away your human nature. We still have it. We still have concupiscence. Now, we love what we shouldn't love, <laughs> or we love what we should, but in the wrong way. All right? We seek our own comfort, our own pleasure, our own will. We value what we want more than we value what God wants. And this, this society today is telling us, do what feels good. This was the ears that have come out of the 60s. You know, it's funny because my dad always talks about the glory of the 60s. I'm like, well, maybe I'll give you the first half of the decade. But after the second half of the decade, when we started getting into a rejection of God and, and, and radical feminism and, and this, this, this sexual revolution, it began, I don't want accountability. I don't want responsibility. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And it became a self-focus. We all do something wrong, even if it's only in our hearts. 
I knew a great priest, never saw him act improperly, never saw him see anything improperly. But he shared with me that his heart bears really anger and, and even some struggle with hatred towards certain people. I was shocked, but I admired his for his honesty. I'm like, well, you're better than me because <laughs> mine just come out of my big mouth. It, it, at least you keep yours in your heart. And so we, we have to work on this. Now, we can't do wrong and stand before God. This is where all the other faiths besides the Catholic faith have some form of understanding of that. But they think that we Catholics are just saying, oh, the works are going to get you into heaven. You have to do good. We can't even say we want to do good and then stand before God. That's a shocker. Because I keep thinking, okay, God, I'm okay because you know my heart. You know my heart. My heart is really in the right place. It's just my stupid mouth and my dumb actions. But you, you understand, God. You know my heart. My heart's in the right place. I just get emotional sometimes or I say something stupid. No. Even if we can't even want to do the right thing but do in our heart the wrong thing. And give stand before God. A prereq prerequisite for seeing God face to face is that every attachment to sin, every attachment, both in our lives and in our hearts, must be broken. If we don't do it on this earth, then you're gonna have to do it in purgatory. So guess what the dark night of the soul is, everybody? It's purgatory on earth. It's purgatory on earth. That's the beauty of it. But that's why we fear it. I don't want to go to purgatory. I'm afraid of it. But if I could do it here on earth, they tell us, the saints tell us it's way easier. Way easier. No matter how much the struggle is, it is easier here. So in a way, as I said, it's purgatory on earth. If we want to become saints, we have to desire God's will. This is the biggest hurdle. I told you before, I've told this to everybody. When I interviewed with the Marians, we talked about the three evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Those are our three vows because the God of poverty overcomes the God of the world of money. I'm sorry, the vow of poverty overcomes the God of the world of money. The vow of chastity overcomes the God of the world of sex. And the vow of obedience overcomes the God of the world of power. And so I remember it was either Brother Leonard or Father Larry, God rest both their souls, that asked me, I, I remember, which one do you think you will struggle with? I said, oh, by far, chastity, Father. And he looked at me, it was Father Larry. And Father Larry looked at me and he shook his head and he says, no, it won't. I said, well, I'm glad you think that. <laughs> he said, it'll be obedience. Because all of us want to do our will. All of us. You will get the grace to live a celibate life if you're called here truly. And it shocked me later when I now totally feel comfortable climbing into that bed alone every night. But obedience, surrendering my will in every word, deed, or action, now that, that's a challenge. And it's not just religious who are called to it, you are. You are. And so, let's look at this. We have to desire God's will, not out of fear of hell. That's the first stage, but out of love of God. So, this is the important point. Some of that breaking of your attachments, my attachments, we do ourselves. This is where non-Catholics miss the boat. We are responsible for some of it ourselves. However, however, 
you know, and it's important we learn to avoid vice and pursue virtue. We, we, we have to give our efforts. But most of that breaking, only God can do. But you got to invite him in. All right, let's look at our next slide. The dark night of the soul. This is what it says here. The dark night of the soul comes just before revelation. When everything is lost and all seems darkness, then comes the new life and all that is needed. So what is the dark night? The dark night of the soul is in part how God breaks us in those attachments. All right. Seemingly, it, it, what, what it seems like to us is that God has withdrawn all spiritual consolations, right? The little comforts and supports that we typically get. We want to go into prayer and we want to just be, uh, and you know, we see religious come here. Most of the guys, I remember my dad talking about Sister Alice Marie when he was young and, and had the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Sister, please pray for them. He, he said that she would tell them that the sisters that came and had this grandiose idea that they were just going to sit in prayer all day and just be filled with consolation. She, she said they never made it. And we see the same thing in the Marian Fathers, when we come down, you know what, Faustina, I'll get to Faustina in a minute, but do you know that she lived for six years in the convent before Jesus ever spoke to her, ever appeared to her, and they were miserable. When St. Faustina first came, she said, what have I done? I've made a mistake. I've come to the wrong place. You know why? Because she was given menial tasks. She too thought, I want to spend the whole day in prayer filled with glorious consolations. I want God to just inflame my heart with this brightest amount of love. Well, that came, but for six years, she didn't get it. For six years, she peeled potatoes, manned the door, worked in the garden. She, she said, what am I doing with all these, these menial tasks? I want to be, I want to be a saint. I want to be uh, living in the chapel with all these consolations. Uh-uh. She had to get ready for that. And how she got ready for that was through those surrendering of her will, through the breaking of the attachments and working and menial tasks to survive. I think that's the greatest message you can give to an incoming postulant. We got our postulants with us here. So Alex, <laughs> Paul, and Philip, God bless them. Now, we'll get to St. Faustine in a minute. Now, here's the thing. You feel like that God has withdrawn all consolation. The little comforts and supports that typically come from pursuing a relationship with God feel gone. And following an almost crushing sense of abandonment to come upon you. It's awful. He purifies us and our desires and prepares us for the next stage coming in your growth. It's kind of like cancer. You got to cut out the cancer before you can start to live again. All right. So, you know, it's unique to each person. It's, it's different for each person. It's, it's, you know, and in fact, it's tough. It's not just dry. It's not just dryness. I don't feel anything in prayer. It's, it's not just that. But people find themselves actually persecuted, persecuted for the faith. I have good friends here that are trying to stand up for the truth. They're trying to make a, a big impact in the diocese. 
and meeting with difficulties with priests and, and some and even the hierarchy. So they're facing afflictions and persecutions and all the calls for help. God, why aren't you doing something seem to go unanswered, right? To them, it feels like God has let them down to some of them. Now, some don't. They have that strength and perseverance all the way through. No, God is with me no matter what. I'm going to get beaten down. But it depends on where you are in your spiritual growth. If you know God is with you and you know you're going to get beat down, but you get up every day, you're more advanced in your spiritual life. But if you're sitting there saying, why God, why me? You're growing. All right. All right. Now, why are you letting me deal with my own cross here, Lord? You said you would help me carry it. He will when you're ready. All right. So others experience a dark night through temptations. All right. So for me, I, I feel, okay, Lord, you've gotten me through the first one. I, I, I don't feel you're not with me. I know you're with me, but man, do I get nailed by the second one? Temptations, impatience, gluttony, you know, pride. These are all things that can nail us. Anger, Chastity, purity, unbelief. Now, unbelief I would put in that first category, but you can still be tempted later. And so we have to stay close to the sacraments. I mean, it's funny because Father Anthony has a regular sign on his door, Father Chris, come on in for confession. <laughs> because we got to stay close to the sacraments, right? Okay, then the, those are who experienced a dark night mainly through desolation. Desolation. All right. No matter how much they pray, it doesn't seem to make any difference. It doesn't seem to do anything. It doesn't seem to come. And then lastly, there are some poor souls that get all three. <laughs> they get a combination of the trials, the temptations, and the abandonment. So where are you in that, that level? God knows. All right. Now, Let's talk about dark night of the soul, but there's also dark night of the senses. You've probably heard this. this is important, right? The dark night of the soul is not the beginning. I started with that because that's the term everybody knows. But the dark night of the soul doesn't come at the beginning of your journey to God. Actually, there are three primary ways, stages, if you will, to grow in holiness. This is the Carmelite tradition. You've heard me say this before. All right. The first is the purgative. The purgative way. This is where you want to be good simply to avoid hell. I, I, you know, you're not thinking as much about God. You just want to avoid the punishment. Those people are the people who say, you know what? I wish if I died, there was just nothing afterwards. Because then I could a lot be more comfortable doing what I want to do now. But I'm really afraid of this hell thing. So they start to come back to being good out of love of their self. Now, Surprisingly, it's enough to save you. There's enough salvation in that act, redemptive because of Christ, to save you, but that's not where you want to be. That's like the first stage, right? The second is the illuminative way. Now, all of a sudden, we want to be good because there's something good for us, not just avoiding punishment like purgative, but an illuminative, I want to be good because I want that glory of heaven. Man, I want, to, I want to be able to go to heaven and lay around all day. I want to be able to go to heaven and not have any of these worries. I want to be able to go to heaven where every single day is like my birthday. This is what I want. There's something good in for it, me. Now, you're getting closer. That illuminative way is now I want something good. 
Well, what you have to learn yet is what is goodness itself? God. So you're getting there. And so the, the, the third way is the unitive way. Now here we, we do good not for ourselves, not to avoid punishment, not to get a reward, simply out of love of God. This is the true test of a marriage. If you truly do what is good for your spouse, you are in, you're working in that way. Sacrifice, no matter what. I, I always use my parents as the example. My, I grew up watching my dad. We always did his will. We went where he wanted. We moved where he wanted. I get it. But one of the reasons I believe God let my mom get sick is I've never seen a transformation so beautiful as I've seen in my father. My father lives now 24-7 for my mom. Complete, his will is gone. He doesn't do what he wants to do. He doesn't go where he wants to go. He's 100% for my mom. And I found out that my mom's been doing better, but she had a, a very bad bowel mistake, went everywhere, 3 o'clock in the morning. And my dad was up with her all night, got her into the shower, 3 o'clock in the morning, taking care of her. That's a level of charity that, that he wouldn't have had had my mom not gotten sick. So this is why sometimes God allows these dark nights. My, my parents are going through a dark night. And so this is what's important. Now, <clears throat> near the end, let's go back to the purgative. Let's go back to the beginning. Near the end of the purgative stage, there is a dark night between the purgative stage and the illuminative stage. A time of trial and affliction where it feels, the soul feels nothing in prayer. God doesn't really care anymore. This, let's go to our next slide. And this is what we call the dark night of the senses. So when you go the purgative stage, I want to avoid hell. I want to do good just because I want to be punished. Before you get to the illuminative stage, you got to have this thing called dark night of the senses. This is where we mortify the flesh. This is where we, we detach from the flesh. And then after the illuminative stage, before we can get to the unitive, we have dark night of the soul where we detach the things of the spirit. That's the dark night of the soul. So let's go back. Purgative stage. We, we start doing good. You all here are at least in the purgative stage. I guarantee it. Every single person watching is at least in the purgative stage because you wouldn't be watching if you didn't. Now, some are more advanced, but all of you are at least in the purgative stage. You've had a conversion. You want to do good, even if you're only here because I want to find out how to get away from hell. Now, hopefully, we'll get you higher, but, but you're at least at that level. Next, before you can get to the illuminative, where you, you want to do good for the sake of there's something good in it for you, you got to detach from the ways of the flesh. That's the dark night of the senses. God will do it. Now, here's the thing, everybody. This first dark night, however, is not the dark night of the soul. It's the dark night of the senses. In the dark night of the senses, God purifies us of our attachments of the world, the physical things. We have to first, God has to first start working on the flesh. So physical comfort, physical pleasure, sexual indulgence, gluttony of food, material possession, desire for material success, popular acclaim, even consolations in prayer, because it's all about me. Now, sorrows afflict us. 
And things that used to comfort us, now in this stage, God begins to purify. God begins to start working. All right. Now you can do an active part by doing like mortifications, fasting and sacrifice yourself. But the passive part of dark night of the senses is what God does. And this is what John of the cross tells us about the passive part of it. There's the active part. Well, father, what do I do? Okay. Fast, pray, do sacrifice. But most of the work has got to be done by God. You just got to let him. It's kind of like a surgeon. You don't operate on yourself, but you go and surrender to the surgeon and even let him put you under the knife. This is what this is. God is beginning to cut you in the flesh. He's not ready for the spirit yet. That comes the next stage up with dark night of the soul. But we're starting with dark night of the senses. So what happens? All of a sudden, food, sex, shopping, compliments. They, they no longer seem to really do as much for us anymore. What's happening? I used to really enjoy this kind of stuff. Eh, the objective things that we think we need are now not as, uh, you know, God's starting to show us what's more important. Thus, the dark night, through this dark night of the senses, God prepares us now for the illuminative way, right? A complete growth, like uh, more of a contemplative life of prayer. And at the end of that contemplative prayer of the illuminative way, that's the middle stage, then we're ready for the dark night of the soul. That occurs, so we prepare for the top, the unitive way. All right, let's look at our next slide that sums it all up. So if you can see the, the slide, the three stages of holiness. One, the purgative way. Then we go through dark night of the senses. Then we hit the second stage, the illuminative way. Then when we're ready, God moves us into the dark night of the soul. Look out, because God's working in you. And then you hit the top, the unitive way. Complete union and doing the will of God. All right, now, during the dark night of the soul, so now we're jumping up, all right, dark night of the soul, God roots out our deepest attachments to the spirit. Now we're talking sin. Sin, not just of the flesh, but sin of the spirit. All right. So God begins to root out our deepest attachments to sin in ourselves. Now he brings in desolation and that accompanies the rooting out of all this. And it's overwhelming. It's crushing. But God's at work. Trust more than just a lack of consolation. This dark night of the soul plunges the soul into an abyss of darkness and nothingness essentially revealing to us that we are if what we are without God nothing we are nothing without God and preparing us not only to carry our crosses but get a load of this but to love our crosses okay Lord I still got a lot of work to do because I am completely willing to carry my cross but I still don't like it I still struggle with it. I'm kind of like the guy, you know, those, those cartoons you see of the one guy all joyful and he's carrying this gigantic cross on one hand because Christ is carrying the other part of it. And you see the other guy laboring with the chain and he's got a little tiny cross and he's, oh, oh. that's because we don't like our crosses in this stage, in the unitive stage. We actually start to love our cross. Whoa, that's where we want to get. So we love our crosses. 
and we carry them joyfully in union with Christ. So this, this is what the bottom line is, everybody. Dark night of the senses is doing without. Dark night of the soul is loving to do without. See the difference? In dark night of the senses, I force myself to do without. Man, I'm starving. I really want to eat that. Oh, I really want to watch that game. Oh, but I'm giving it up. That is the dark night of the senses. But then when you start to embrace it, like Brother Alex here. Brother Alex is awesome in that sense. We might ask Brother Alex to serve five masses, right? He'll be like, oh boy, I can get another soul out of purgatory. He does not look at it as a cross. He does not look at it, oh, I wanted to go sleep. He says, oh boy, I get to, to get another soul out of purgatory. That's the difference. How beautiful. All right, now, it knocks us down, but it's different from depression. Let's look at our next slide. This is important. Is it dark night of the soul or is it depression? What are you struggling with? This is important. All right, depression and the dark night of the soul, they appear to be the same thing, but they're not. All right, they're not. All right. But they're not different either entirely. They're, they're similar. As St. John of the Cross said, depression can go hand in hand with a dark night, whether by making it worse or being the result from the dark night. God may give you the dark night and your response may as you go into utter depression. Be careful. If God is giving you this grace of a dark night, be careful how you respond. You can respond either by embracing it and saying, okay, Lord, I don't know where you are. I don't feel you, but I trust that's Mother Teresa. Or you can utterly say, I'm done with you, Lord. I'm not going to church anymore. None of my prayers are answered. My sister has cancer. My child, you took from me. I want nothing to do with you. And then they go into depression. Not un- it's not, un- not understandable. It is understandable. But there's a way out. Now, while clinical depression is triggered by an objectively sad event, like I said, losing a loved one or a, a terminal illness, or by like even a biochemical problem, right? The dark night of the soul is purely an act of God. Whereas depression is caused by external events, the passive dark night of the soul is strictly from God. It's an act of God. It is God working in our souls to draw us closer to him. Now, likewise, while depression weighs down the body and the soul, rendering those who suffer from it unable to do normal activities of life, that's depression. Throughout the dark night, The spirit stays strong. This is why I know some people around here that are like, you know what? I might get kicked in the teeth, but I'm going to keep getting up. I love that. I love that. And that to me is the beautiful thing. If our, if our church hierarchy isn't listening, if our, if our Catholics aren't listening, we're going to keep trying. Get knocked down, but we get back up. That's the difference in depression. You stay down. In dark night of the soul, you get knocked down too. Both depression and the dark night, you're laying down. You just got knocked down. But in the dark night, you get up. And those suffering through it can perform works of charity, service. You know, they can do it. 
So they remain active and don't experience the same temptations of depression and like self-loathing, even suicide, that sometimes the um, depression brings. Nor do they lose faith in the midst of the dark night. They believe, they, they, the belief remains. Now, people think it's evil. Here's a big misconception. People believe that the world suffers from spiritual desolation. Does it? Does the world suffer from spiritual desolation? Yes, of course. It's in a mess. But not because they're going through the dark night. It's because there's just no desire for God whatsoever. There's a difference. Don't confuse, well, gee, Father really clarified. I don't really have a desire to pray. I really don't have a desire. I'm not feeling God. Well, you know, I mean, hey, this is normal. I'm growing in holiness. I don't have to go to church because I don't feel God's presence. But, you know, Father Chris said this is all normal. No, that's desolation caused by the evil one. There's desolation caused by the dark night, and there's desolation caused by the evil one. They're different. Now, the world suffers from spiritual desolation, no desire from God, but this is bad. This is the evil kind, the evil one. The dark night of the soul, on the other hand, is not evil. It's good, which we should be grateful for, all right? Of course, it doesn't always seem that way. We don't want to feel abandoned. But as I said before, neither is surgery, right? Having cancer removed from our bodies isn't fun, but we submit to the doctor. We go under the knife. The sooner we do, the better, quicker we'll have a healthier life. It's the same in the spiritual life, all right? If we want to be holy, we must let him take the sin and detach it from our souls. There's no other way. Before we can enter to heaven, this has to happen. This has to happen. And it's better to do it now than in purgatory. All right. So let's get into something I think is really interesting. Let's look at our next slide. One of the guys I went to seminary with, he was working on his licentiate, is Ralph Martin. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he wrote the book, The Fulfillment of All Desires. There's a picture of the book that I wanted to show you. Now, he points out that Jesus said it in the most startling way. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Good luck. All right. We can be discouraged when we hear the word perfect because none of us can do it. None of us can be perfect. We think that perfection is impossible, and it is if you rely on yourself. But for God, all things are impossible. Holiness is not just a matter of how many rosaries we say or what good works we do. It's a matter of having our heart transformed to resemble the heart of Christ for love of God and neighbor. Now let's look at our next slide, because this is Teresa of Avila. Now let's get into her. She puts it, holiness is a matter of bringing our will into union with God's will. And you want to get to there, you say, I don't, I'm not doing it. Practice mortification. Go down to the dark night of the senses. Fast. Deny yourself maybe that comfort that you like or that food you love, you know? Um, it's a journey sustained by grace, which is the only way to heaven. God's grace gets us to heaven, not our good works, but we got to cooperate with that grace by doing good works, all right? It leads to this nuptial union that we always hear about from John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. All right, so John Paul jumped aboard this. I'm going to give you the four principles John Paul gave. Do you know this? I bet you've never heard this. I'm pulling now right from our theologians. Chris Sparks got this for me. And this is the four principles that John Paul II identified 
as basic to your spiritual growth. One, what's the first spiritual principle you must have if you want to be holy and be a saint? One, to understand union with God is unattainable on your own. Isn't that the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous? Something like that, the 12-step programs, to know that you're powerless. You're powerless. That's the first thing. I can't do this on my own, right? It's a gift that only God can give. We are totally dependent on him. We're not going to do this by ourselves. All right, two. Second, at the same time, we must do our part. This is where Catholics and non-Catholics differ. Non-Catholics want to, I mean, not all, please don't get me wrong, but I've met many. Why are you so worried about this, Chris? God's in control. God's got it all. Yeah, he does. But you got to show up. Look at a good football coach. Football coach has got the great game plan. He's got it all under control. All we got to do to win this game, guys, is show up. And nobody shows up. You got to show up. You got to play the game. You got, you got a game, and this is life. So our effort is indispensable. Our effort is not sufficient to bring about union with God, but it is necessary. Necessary, but not sufficient. We have to be properly disposed. You know what? If you're not properly disposed, God can do nothing else with you. It's the same in receiving Holy Communion. We're working with Father Matt Tomini to, Tomini to be able to have in our masses now a reading before receiving Holy Communion. You must be in a state of grace. You can't receive irreverently. Paul tells us, if you receive this irreverently, you bring condemnation upon yourself. Now, that must mean it's more than a piece of bread. Because if God saw how I eat a piece of bread like a piece of pizza as I'm running between meetings, that's quite irreverent. But the Holy Eucharist is not just a piece of bread. It's the living presence of God. It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So you've got to be properly disposed before you come and receive Holy Communion. Or you don't come up, you go to confession, and then you come to Holy Communion. This is what we're not teaching anymore. It's the same in the spiritual life. God is not going to allow you up to have union with him if you're not properly disposed in a state of grace, doing his will. Now, Holy Communion, blessed, thank you fully, doesn't have to have all the perfection, but you got to be in a state of grace. You got to be. Now, that's the second, the third principle of holiness for John Paul II. We have to realize that much has to change in our life. Sin needs to go, and it has many painful moments of extracting it from us. The Bible tells us in Acts 14, through many tribulations, are we able to enter the kingdom of God? All right. This is illumination of conscience. We have to be aware that we got to, to get rid of this sin. And four, we need to know that all the pain is worth it. You have to have hope, a desire for union with God, or you're not going to persevere. So pray for hope. That, that you have that. All right, now, what, we, what really holds us back 
from this wholehearted response of God's call to us and to live a life of Christ is not really our external circumstances. We use this as an excuse all the time. Well, you know, Father, when the kids are out of the house, then I'll be able to do my holy hour a week. You know, Father, when, when I start the new job or after I get settled in my new job, I'll be able to go to church again. You know, Father, when we find that new house, we've been looking for months. When we find that new house, then we'll be able to focus on our faith. Nada. External circumstances are not the cause. What's the cause? It is your heart, my heart, your heart. What is in there? Is it full of junk? Or is it emptied out like the, 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 the vessels at Cana? That's the whole meaning of the vessels, at the jars at Cana. They're empty. That's the whole point. Then Jesus comes in and fills them with the wine of the Holy Spirit. So we got to empty ourselves, our sluggishness of heart. We like sin. We like comfort. we got to break that. So the source of all unhappiness, all misery, is sin and its consequences. That's the source of all our misery. So the sooner that we go under the knife, let God cut this out, purify us of sin and its effects, the sooner we do that, the happier we will be and the better person we will be. This is the concept of moral theology. You're getting an entire course in moral theology right now. You don't even have to pay for it. But please listen to it and at least try to live it. Right? There is only one choice. You got one choice. No other choice in your life matters. Not what college you go to. Not what job you take. Not even if you become a nun or a priest versus married. Not even that. The number one is you have a choice to either undergo transformation to be predisposed for heaven or to be a lost soul in hell. By continuing to do it my way. You always hear me say, what is the devil's favorite song? You know, the angels are musical beings. That's why you got to be very careful. The music your kids listen to, or even you used to listen to. I remember Father Mark Barron used to show us this, this, this documentary called They Sold Their Souls to Rock and Roll, about rock and roll people that, that claim that they, they went to the dark forces to give them success and stuff. And I was like praying, please don't let my favorite bands be on there. You know, Def Leppard and, and Styx and Ario Speedwagon. None of them were, thank goodness. But a lot of them were. The, the, the angels are musical beings. So the fallen angels use music. This is why sacred music in the mass is so important. Because the fallen angels hate it. So the devil's favorite song... Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. <laughs> I did it my way. Don't fall into that. We got to walk. Now, why does God want us walking in the dark? All right, this comes from Catherine Doherty. Um, she said, faith is to believe without understanding. Faith is to believe without seeing. So when God puts you in the dark, you can't see. So he forces you to live in faith. Now, like in the world, day becomes night very quickly. I remember we went to filming. It was unbelievable. I never really realized it. We went to film our EWTN show in our studio downstairs. And I went into the studio. It was light. This was just the other night. And we filmed for just a few minutes. And I came out and it was pitch black. 
That's how fast it happened. So like in the world where day becomes night within minutes, God plunges you into darkness instantly. So that like in the world, only extreme darkness, not the lights of the city, but only extreme darkness can you actually see what's beautiful, like the stars. Do you ever know in Manhattan, can you see the beautiful stars? No, because all the pollution and the lights and all that from the city and stuff, you can't see the beautiful stars of God's creation. But you go out to the pitch darkness of Wyoming, where I was with the Carmelite monks, you see stars like you've never seen before. It's actually a clearer vision. So God basically says, you can't see in the dark. You will have to follow me in faith without even knowing. And you will believe. All right, let's watch this video. Let's watch this video that explains what is the meaning of the dark soul. It was an interview done by Brandon Vaught, who we had on our EWTN show. And um, he was interviewing Bishop Barron, which there's a lot of things I don't agree. There's confusion on universalism and all that kind of stuff. But here he just addressed the dark night of the soul. Let's watch this video. What do we mean when we say dark night of the soul? What is that? Let me start this way, Brandon. Um, by a really interesting instinct, and we see it all the time, when people pray, what's one of the physical things they most um, automatically do? They close their eyes, right? Now, why is that? Why would people close their eyes when they pray? Well, for a good reason. The eyes order me toward the, this world. So right now I'm looking at picture of you on this camera and there's lights around me and I'm going to get my car later and my eyes will be looking around to see how to get home. And good. That's what eyes are for. They order me to the conditioned things of this world. Is God in that realm? Uh-uh. God is not one of the conditioned things in the world. He made them. Yes, they're good. Yes, we're not Puritans here. We're not playing that game. So that's always a danger. Oh, I guess you're closing your eyes because you don't like the world. No, no, no. Don't go down that path. But God is not anything in the world. So if I'm going to really come to communion with God, to some degree, I have to darken the senses. I have to go through a dark night of the senses, John of the Cross calls that. Now, take the next step. I got my eyes and my ears and my hands that order me to this world. What else does that? Well, my mind, right? My mind, which uses words and ideas and concepts and arguments and syllogisms. And what's it doing? It's making its way through this world. So you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a businessman, you're whatever you are. You're using your mind to make your way in a more sophisticated manner through this world. So an animal can do it using its senses. We do it with both senses and our minds, right? Okay. God doesn't despise any of that. We're not, we're not anti-intellectuals. But God is beyond anything that words and concepts and ideas and syllogisms can give us. Therefore, I close these eyes when I pray, dark night of the senses, and I have to close, if you want, the eyes of the mind, too. They have to close because God is beyond what the mind can manipulate, control, understand, right? The dark night of the soul and the dark night of the senses are about this process of quieting the body, quieting the soul, so as to open 
to a graced knowledge of that reality which transcends whatever the senses and mind can grasp. So it's, you know, dark night sounds like such a bad thing. But think about this for a second. What happens on a really dark night? Look up. And suddenly, there. look at the stars. I, I didn't even know they were there. Look at them. The, the stars now, now shine with a particular brilliance because the other lights have been lowered, right? If I darken my ordinary way of perceiving, now that which stands beyond this conditioned finite world can begin to shine. That's what he's talking about. Okay, so that's a great clip of an understanding of what the dark night of the soul is. Now, let's talk a little bit about Pope Benedict XVI and what he said about John of the Cross. Now, let's look at our next slide. This is St. John of the Cross. I'm not going to do a whole thing on him. You can look him up online. Great saint. He was born in the Spanish town of, people don't know this, Avila, the same town of St. Teresa of Avila. He was born right after the Reformation, so God called him for a purpose. Born in 14, 1542, and he became a Carmelite. I love Carmelite spirituality. Some people seem to pick Ignatian spirituality. I love Carmelite spirituality, right behind Marian spirituality. Now, he was ordained as a priest in 1567, and on, check this out. I bet you didn't know this. This is fascinating. On the day of his first Mass... He met Teresa of Avila. Wow, talk about a gift from God, right? So he meets her, who explained to him her plan to reform the Carmelites. Now, in his renewal of his religious profession, he took the name of the cross. So he was no longer just John. He became known as John of the cross, because when he was helping to reform the Carmelites... He incurred great suffering, great darkness, and even imprisonment, falsely accused. So while he was preparing for a journey to Mexico, he, he got ill, he died. He died at only 49 years old in 1591. Now, he is considered one of the most important, not just saints, but poets. He was a poet, a poet in Spain. <clears throat> And so he wrote four major works. The two big ones that I'm getting all this information from, let's look at our screen, is The Ascent of Mount Carmel. That's about what we can do, the active dark night. And then he wrote Dark Night of the Soul, which is the passive part of the dark night, which is what God does. It takes two. God, what was that? Um, was it Augustine? The Pashas could probably correct me. God created you without you, but he will not save you without you. God created you without you, but he will not save you without you. That's the whole basis of the Catholic faith. Everybody else attacks us. You think it's all about you? You think it's all? No, but you got to cooperate. You're only saved by God's grace, but you've got to cooperate with that grace. All right, now, both the dark night of the senses and dark night of the soul, as I said, have an active part and a passive part. The active part is what we do. The passive part is what God does. Now, the active is what we do, as I said. And, and so in this book, uh, The Dark Night of the Soul, St. John of the Cross basically described the passive part, what God does. All right, we can't do this. 
I could never live a celibate life going to bed every night alone the rest of my life without God's grace. If somebody would have told me in college, see, God, God works in interesting ways. Some people know from the day they were born they're going to be a priest. Father Thaddeus, Father Alan Alexander, they knew from the time they could walk they were going to be priests. Then there's others like me. If somebody would have told me in college as I was dating and, and working and earning money that you were going to become a priest, I would have cried. No way. Now, I can't imagine doing anything other than that. I, I thank God every day for my priesthood. Please, Lord, don't let me screw it up. I'm so thankful for my priesthood. I, I thank God on my hands and knees every day for my priesthood. Just don't let me mess it up, Lord. Please don't let me mess it up. That's only by grace. There's no way we could live a celibate life without the grace of God. We can't do it. That is not an active choice. The active part of the dark night isn't just like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to try this for a while. See how well I do. You're not. You got to get into the passive part of the dark night, which is God doing it, but you got to let him take over. All right. So now um, the purpose of the saints is to show us that a transformation in union with God is possible. In 1990, John Paul II wrote an apostolic letter called the master of faith. Listen to what he said here. This is really good. Quoting John Paul, the dark night educates a man so that he is able to discern regarding God's presence or absence. This is our most common question. Where is God? He no longer depends on pleasant or unpleasant feelings. That's what our whole society and world tells us today is important. Do it if it feels good. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. I choose to love you. And so, John Paul II says, he no longer depends on pleasant or unpleasant feelings to guide him, for he is rather led by faith, even in the dark. And by love, God remains his loving father in the hour of pleasure or in the hour of pain. We got to remember that. All right, so let's go back here. I want to see a couple more things on Dark Night of the Census. Let's, we're going to keep building up. And why are we going up and down? A great question was asked at the break. Can you, do you follow these in order or can you go through multiple? Yes, God can have you all over this ladder. So we're going to go back to Dark Night of the Senses. I'm going to talk about Father John Harden, one of my favorite priests. God rest his soul. All right, so in the active Dark Night, we do voluntary things like penances, mortifications. Um, some of our older priests, amazing. Father Kazimir Kruzianowski, who just passed away, he was 90s, late 90s. He was in his 90s and still flagellating himself daily. What a man, what a priest, what a guy, what a servant of God. That's my inspiration. If a 90-year-old man can do that, how dare I complain about a traffic jam? And so that's the active. Then we have the passive, the first stage of purification through which God then gets involved. You do it, God sees your effort, and he comes in. It's kind of like 
uh, the American Revolution. The French weren't going to help us. They had to see us stand up for ourselves and stand up to the British and also say, whoa, you know, that might be worth it. I want to come in and help. You got to help yourself. God sees that and he rewards that. All right. So God then comes and leads the souls to perfection. St. John of the Cross said, God establishes the soul in the dark night of the senses that he may purify, prepare and subdue its lower nature and unite it to the spiritual the higher nature, by depriving it of light. That's so weird. How can God make us grow by putting us in the dark? You ever hear of the three days of darkness? The three days of darkness, many saints and blesseds are talking about it. God may put us in the dark. So then we see how we are going to react. Are we going to trust? Are we going to live by faith? Are we going to end up killing each other? Now, he says, by depriving it of light and causing it to live by faith. Is that what we're going to do? He gives the grace to detach from the senses. So the, the dark night of the senses is to detach of the flesh. Then he gets us up to the illuminative way. And then before we can get to the unitive, we got to go through dark night of the soul. That's to detach us of the love of the spirit. Oh, you know, I'm holier than that person. Yeah, yeah. You know, that person only goes to church five days a week. I go seven days a week. We got to be detached from that too. That's detachment of the spirit. Dark night of the senses detaches us from the flesh. Dark night of the soul detaches us from spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is deadly. Deadly. Now, it doesn't mean we, we roll around and condone others in their sin because we don't want to offend them. It's a work of mercy to admonish the sinner. But we can't feel that we're the judge. We judge the action. We must judge the action. That action is objectively wrong. But we don't know the subject of only God does. We can't judge the person, we judge the action. In our society today, we can't judge the action because we're called haters. They're separating. They're not understanding the separation between judge the person and judge the action. You have to judge the action. It is wrong to have an abortion. It is wrong to use contraception. It is wrong to receive in a state of mortal sin. Okay, now... So this is what's going on. This is, this is what's dark night of the senses, dark night of the soul. Also, too, I should clarify this. If you hear me say dark night of the soul or dark night of the spirit, they're the same thing. Dark night of the senses is the flesh. Dark night of the soul or the spirit is, is the other. The soul and spirit mean the same thing. It's purpose. Well, not technically. Every living thing has a soul. Even an animal has a soul. People, people yell at me all the time. Yes, an animal has a soul. Yes, a plant has a soul. Every living thing has a soul. The difference is only man has a spirit, a rational, immortal soul. An animal does not have a rational, immortal soul. A plant does not have a rational, immortal soul. A human does, and that's what's called the spirit. So even though we use them interchangeably. Now, the purpose is to detach the soul from the spiritual consolations that a people become spiritually prideful. Well, you know, obviously God loves me more than that person because I do 10 more hours of adoration than they do. Now, odds are, if you do 10 more hours of adoration, yeah, probably you are in a better spiritual position. But not doing it just so everybody sees your name on the adoration list and says, wow, look how holy they are. 
That's the Pharisees. So the purpose is detached from these spiritual consolations and embrace, not hate, the cross. All right, detached from all self-love, even your own virtue. We can become prideful in our virtue. I remember one brother, when we were in a meeting back when I was in formation, and this brother outwardly said, I just don't understand how anybody can struggle with pornography. I don't get it. I don't struggle with it. Okay, you're talking to a room full of young men in their 20s. Not condoning one ounce of pornography, horrible, will rip your insides and your soul apart. But there's a lot of spiritual pride in that statement. Because although you might not struggle with it, then God is going to allow a big old hammer from another direction to get you. Because that's spiritual pride. Instead, you need to be looking, hey man, I get it. I can understand what you're going through. How can I help you? That's the key. All right, now, the dark night of the soul. So that's the dark night of the senses leading into dark night of the soul. Dark night of the soul, the active part, we strive for holiness in our efforts and our works of mercy. Like I said, this is what we do. Now, the passage, as I said, is God takes over. Now, why is it called a night? Why do we call it a night? Well, we distinguish it from the spiritual condition of being able to see like you do in the day. We call it the night because during the day we can see at night we can't. So we rely on faith. We don't have light. Now, why do we call it? Why do we also call it dark? And I would just say the night of the soul because the dark night emphasizes its intensity. All right. So the purpose of such purification is to cleanse the soul of all self-love, both of the flesh and of the spirit, of the flesh, the senses, dark night of the senses, of the spirit, dark night of the soul. Now, this enables the person to be used by God. Get this. This is awesome. This enables the person to be used by God for the spiritual welfare of others. Why? Since the more holy a person is, and the more you let God work on you, the more meritorious and just your prayers are and sacrifices that you do for others. So you can help be a mini co-redeemer. You're not the redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer, but you can help save souls. That's why Jesus told St. Faustina, help me save souls. All right, next slide. And I want to start picking it up here. I know I'm, I'm running a little bit behind. All right, um, let's go to our next slide. Um, this is Thomas Dubé, one of my favorite books that I read in seminary. Um, that first one I shared with you, uh, 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 Martin, Ralph Martin, I read that book, Fulfillment of All Desires, in um, a seminary, and I want to talk about Father Thomas Dubay, The Fire Within, because I also read that when I was in Nov Novitiate. All right, he studied St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. Now, here's what he said. Like hell, the feeling of divine rejection is total suffering. That is the second night, the dark night of the soul. But unlike hell, individuals in this dark night, the dark night of the soul, love God. They just can't figure out what the heck's going on. All right. They know what they do, but they find no relief in knowing. I know God's with me, but I don't feel him. So it causes even deeper suffering because when they love God so much, they want to please him so much. And they feel they aren't, or otherwise God would be filling me with all these consolations. 
You see it? You see that connection? All right. Prayer seems impossible at this point. So if you're struggling with prayer, if you're getting dryness, you might be going through this. You might be going through not a loss of faith. You might be going through purification in a dark night of the soul. This is the whole meaning of this talk. People contact us all the time. Father, I, I don't feel God. Where is God? I'm suffering. I'm suffering. I'm suffering. If you took the time to write the Marian fathers, if you took the time to watch this live stream, if you're taking the time to go to mass and you're feeling that way. Now, if cousin Joey is just drinking and, and, and carousing and he doesn't care about God and he says, well, I don't feel God either. <laughs> it's not the same. You may be having the dryness because God has got you on a plan. God has got you on a plan. This is important. Prayer may seem impossible and reassurances from your spiritual director seem to be no avail because you don't think they understand you. This is important. No, they don't know what I'm going through. You may be experiencing dryness. You may be experiencing difficulty, no sense of the presence of God because God is the most working on you than he has any time in your life. Again, you can say the same thing about the people rioting in the streets. Oh, I don't feel God either. Probably not the same reason. But you wouldn't be watching if God wasn't working. All right, now St. John says that the duration depends on what is needed to get your soul ready for final transformation and union with God, the highest level, the unitive. All right. And this will be according to the degree of holiness that God wants you to give. Remember, when you're in heaven, are we all going to be the same? No. You know, the saints tell us heaven is like a big stadium. All right. You could be down on the 50 yard line on the field and have the greatest seats to the closeness of God who's there in the center. Or you could be way up in the nosebleed seats, but everybody in the stadium is happy to be there. It's kind of like the Super Bowl. I don't care if I'm in the nosebleed or I'm down on the, I'm just happy to be there. Each of us in heaven will be like a little thimble. Some will have a thimble be a thimble this big, and some will be a thimble this big. But guess what? All will be filled. You will be filled to your capacity. So the amount that God is in you in heaven may be this much, but you're completely filled because your thimble's only this big, or it might be this much. How you do on this earth is depending, it depends on how big the thimble is that you are in heaven and how much light you radiate. You will be seen in heaven by how much light you, you, you radiate in Christ, by how much light you radiated here on earth. All right, so what does all this mean? Okay. So, um, it may take a lifetime, sometimes longer for those of us who end up in purgatory. Purgatory, if you end up in purgatory means you didn't get the job done on earth. It means God still wanted to work on you, but you didn't fully respond and he's giving you a chance in purgatory. That's why purgatory is mercy. Purgatory is mercy. All right. So we mentioned before the roadmap. It will get us there. Let's show it one more time if Brother Mark can show it on the screen. All right, so we got the purgative. What is the purgative? Conversion, getting rid of sin in your life. 
Then you get into the dark night of the senses. This is to purify the flesh, which prepares you for the next stage, which is the illuminative. Here you turn to God because it's good. I want heaven. Then we go through dark night of the soul. Here we have purifying the spirit. I'm purified of pride. I'm purified of, of spiritual pride. And that prepares us for the ultimate unitive way, the spiritual marriage. This is what St. Faustina focused on. All right. So oh, wrapping up here. Okay. So we don't necessarily go through these stages in that order. So here's the thing. Or all at once. St. Teresa tells us sometimes we go through them again and again, or sometimes we even experience more, more one more than another. All right. Chris Sparks says, our theologian here, the dark nights are essentially the death of your nature. The old man is gone. God allows us through the night, the dark night, to cease living the way you've been living, your nature, and begin to live by grace. Only at night can you see the stars, as I said. All right. It takes time for your vision to adjust when you go into darkness, right? You know, when you first walk into a dark room and it's from the light, you can't see anything. But then as your eyes adjust, right, you start to see inside the dark room. All right. Now, we walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians tells us. All right. So God is close to the soul during the dark nights, even if it doesn't feel that way. All right. So the process, let's look at our next slide is the active night of the senses and the passive night of the senses come from his two books, The Ascent of Mount Carmel and The Dark Night of the Soul. Likewise, the active and passive nights of the spirit come from Ascent of Mount Carmel and Dark Night of the Soul. All right, so the active night of the senses, again, what we do, this means it's our own effort, as we said before. I'm going to skip across here. All the things that prevent us from uniting with God, we need to eliminate. They have to have a transformation, all right? A love of God, emptying of our soul. Again, this is what Cana did. Now, <clears throat> this way, things can't enter our soul to, to clog it, all right? Like being attached, for instance, to the late night news. I used to be attached to the late night news. I can't even watch it anymore. But I used to be attached, and then I realized it was keeping me from praying the rosary. So we can make those active choices. Now let's go to the passive night of the senses. You did your part. God does his part. All right. God then comes in. If you are willing to strip away the old self, God will give you the, God will give you the tools to do it. All right. God allows a period of aridity. The believer perseveres then. There's no consolation. All right, but the believer begins to experience the presence of God, all right, and to be able to make this supernatural, moving from the purgative to the illuminative. This is deep, this deep purification of the passive night and the senses is needed because without it, we can't progress, all right? It stumbles, we have sometimes stumbles, but this is why it's important. The soul needs to be humbled. And we start with the flesh, surprisingly. This is why fasting is so important. Fasting. Remember Jesus said in the, in, the, in the Bible that a demon like this can only come out through prayer and fasting. All right. So we walk the truth. All right. Consolations are good, but this has turned out to be a blessing to be in the dark. All right. Next, active night of the spirit. Now we're jumping up to the dark night of the soul again. Now, active, what can you do to cooperate with God's grace on a spiritual level? 
Because everybody thinks the spiritual is just God alone. No, you can do your part. St. John tells us to cleanse the faculties of your understanding, your memory, and your will. You know, that's what kills us. How we think we understand things. Our memory, the devil can use like a VCR. How many times does God pull back in our mind the memories of the past that'll cause us into sin? Man, do you remember when he said that about me? Man, that was 18 years ago. But I'm going to get him back. Or maybe you had an improper relationship years ago and you want to keep calling it back in your mind. The memory will kill you because the devil is Memorex. He'll pop that VCR tape in there and he'll replay it over and over and over again. You got to cut ties with that memory. <clears throat> and then the will. And this is important because when, when, when our spiritual house has been set in order, Satan can't get in. All right. This is what he talks about in the ascent of Mount Carmel. All right. So at this time, you can't even really meditate in prayer. You can only contemplate. That's when you know you're growing. If you can't really do meditation in prayer, if you can't really focus on prayer, shut it all down and just go before the Lord in silence and let him talk to you. You might think you're failing and actually you're growing. Powerful stuff. All right, so I'm going to skip this. Um, all right. Um, yeah, he points out, St. John of the Cross points out that imperfections of the senses have to be purified before you get to the higher faculties of the spirit, understanding, memory, and will. So here's the thing, everybody. Why understanding, memory, and will? Okay, here's what St. John of the Cross says. You better be distrustful of why, the way you understand things. That's why we need the church. Everybody says, well, no, no, you determine for yourself what is best. Uh-uh. The church leads us in what is best. So you be distrustful of your own understanding. You got to walk by faith. Next, don't get bogged down in past memories. The devil will kill you with them. So you got to have hope for the future. Don't dwell on the past, my failures, and even enjoy them. Cut ties. What does Jesus say when, when you put your hand to the plow? Don't look back. You have hope for the future. So you have hope that erases the memory. And then being in the presence of God to direct your will to God's will is the memory and the will. The will. Turn it over to God's will. This prepares you then for union with God. And that is the passive night of the spirit or the soul. This is God putting you in a dark tunnel. This is where the big challenges of the soul come. The, com the completion of stripping your soul of the faculties, especially, again, your intellect, your memory, and your will, your understanding. As God empties you, all right, the soul becomes painfully aware of its wretchedness. You see yourself as God sees you. This causes agony in some people. Do you know that the saints tell us in the illumination of conscience, which many say will come, you know what the illumination of conscience is? Prior to the three days of darkness, Okay, the illumination of conscience is where God allows us all to see ourselves as he sees us. And he gives us a chance to convert. Then those will be given the last chance at the three days of darkness, the final part of the chastisement. 
But that illumination of conscience, you will see yourself as God sees you. And it says many will die on the spot. I think they're the ones that I don't have any sin. I don't have any sin. My goodness. To me, I could go to confession and sin on the way to the bathroom outside the confessional. So we, 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 we can't think that way. We're wretched without God. We can't make it without him. And this is what God does. He shows us this. All right. It's an illumination. Feeling forsaken is if one has lost, forsaken by God, deprived by others, despised by others, but God is with you. Final couple paragraphs for <laughs> home stretch. All right. <clears throat> Only then can the soul experience profound peace and joy. You know, this is a total paradox, isn't it? I always call God the Lord of the paradox. A soul is placed in the dark so that it can see. A soul is stripped, emptied, so that it can be filled. A soul is humbled so it can be exalted. This is the whole meaning. Now, God substantially tells, dwells substantially in that part of the soul which the devil used to have access to. Now you've shut him out. He, you, God reigns. You know, Satan no longer can interfere with your communication with, with God. This is the highest degree of prayer. This is contemplation, pure faith, trusting, the essence of St. Faustina, until an overwhelming experience of union with God takes place. This is contemplation. This is the unitive way. So we finish by saying, what does all this mean? What is all this that I just babbled about? This is what it means. St. John of the Cross describes the night of the senses in the ascent of Mount Carmel. Read that book if you can. He describes the passive night of the senses, God's part, in the dark night of the soul. Now, passive means that not everyone enters voluntarily. God could throw you in against your will. Why? Because he loves you that much. The more of the cross God allows you to share in, the more he knows he can count on you. Sometimes God brings us into the darkness against our will in order for our own good. You know, the dark night of the soul annihilates anything you believe about yourself that isn't true. Hear that again. The dark night of the soul annihilates anything in you that isn't true. Why, I'm the best running back in the history of the world. It's not true. I am the smartest man in the church. Not true. Dark night of the soul will annihilate anything in you that's not true. If you think, I'm just fine, I, I don't need any correction, I'm doing just great, God will annihilate that. God will annihilate it. He'll also annihilate anything that you think about God that isn't true. That he's only mercy and you don't have to be accountable to any of your sins. That'll be annihilated. Or that he's only justice and nothing you could do will please him and you'll never make it to heaven. He'll annihilate that too. Anything that's not true about you or God will be annihilated in the dark night. All spiritual exercises are some way supposed to do that. Everything is stripped away except for your essential self. All right. Your old self, gone. 
the new self emerges. And when the darkness lifts, you have clarity like you've never had before. This is amazing. You have a sense of how to live now the rest of your life. So the dark night is a metaphor, but it can be widely approved, widely applied. You know, the whole world is going through a dark time, right? Yeah, but this is more spiritual desolation from the evil one, not seeking God. This is different. In those cases, more prayer is needed. If you're going through the dark night, the true dark night, more prayer is actually not the answer, surprisingly. Union with God is. And sometimes you just do that by not praying at all, just being in his presence. More prayer doesn't always break us out of it. We have to trust God is in control. That's what breaks you out of it. It is not a spiritual crisis, but rather a path you must take to get to heaven. We need to cut ourselves off from the bright lights of the world. Father, how do I do that? Get a spiritual director. Get a spiritual director. In some cases, even after the dark night has accomplished what it, it was set to do, listen to this, this kills me. St. John of the Cross said this. I was like, God, oh, geez, Lord, I, I'm afraid to go through the full dark night of the soul. Help me not be afraid, because when I get through it, it's going to be beautiful. Here's what St. John of the Cross said. In some cases, even after the dark night is finished or accomplished its work, God will let the dark night continue in the person. Gee, thanks, Lord. He will let it continue because then it becomes redemptive for other people. God has redeemed you and saved you because you've gone through it. You're united with God. Now he's going to use you to stay in the dark night as a source of grace for others. How incredible. Now you are a suffering servant. So if you are going through this, if you're saying, Father, I can't take this suffering anymore. I can't take it. Ask God if this is what he's asking you to do. Save souls through it. This is Mother Teresa. She touched the world. I can't, I don't have time to show, it's just a one minute video, but I, I got to finish and wrap up here. Basically, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa was the perfect example of this. She accomplished the dark night was accomplished in her, but God let it continue so she could bring it to souls. And she helped, I believe, millions of souls. All right, so now we truly do finish. Just a few words, St. Faustina. Let's take a look at our next slide. Saint Faustina, this is our saint. You know, I said earlier, Faustina suffered for six years of discontent in the convent before Jesus appeared to her and before she wrote a word. Jesus didn't appear to her in 1931. She came to the convent in 1925, six years earlier, and she wanted out. People don't realize that. She thought she knew what she wanted. She wanted a stricter order with more prayer. But instead, as I said earlier, she got menial jobs, cutting potatoes, weeding the garden. But she trusted. She trusted and persevered. Then when she was ready, after she went through the dark night, Jesus appeared to her and gave her union. This was in 1931. Jesus appeared to her when she was ready and she wrote the diary. So 
I finish now with the last slide. St. Faustina's last word she ever wrote. Does anybody know off the top of your heads what the last words St. Faustina ever wrote were? Here they are. Today, let's look on our screen. This is the last paragraph of the diary, the last words St. Faustina ever wrote. Today, the majesty of God is surrounding me. Spiritual union. There is no way that I can help myself to prepare better. Active dark night. She did her part. God comes in for the passive dark night. She can't do any more, she says. This last paragraph summarizes everything we've talked about today. There is no way I can help myself to prepare better. God did it. I am thoroughly enwrapped in God, the unitive way. My soul is being inflamed by his love transformation that she went through in the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the soul. I only know that I love and that I am loved. That's all that matters, not herself, but God. That is enough for me. She is empty. God filled her like Cana with the wine of the Holy Spirit. I am trying my best to be faithful throughout the day to the Holy Spirit and fulfill his demands. She's continuing the active dark night. I am trying my best for interior silence. That's contemplation, the highest level of prayer. Silence before God in order to be able to hear his voice. And guess what she finishes with? Dot, dot, dot. You know what that means in writing? That means there's more. There's more. She moved beyond human language while writing that sentence. In the middle of the last sentence St. Faustina ever penned, she ended with dot, 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 meaning there's more. She went beyond human language. She achieved spiritual union with God. Wow. That is our goal. Ask St. Faustina to help you. Ask St. Faustina to be with you. Ask St. Faustina to show you. That's why we have the saints. The saints give us examples that it is possible. If St. Faustina went through six years of doubting God, thinking she's in the wrong place, all of us have too. Lord, what are you doing with me? I'm in the wrong place. I'm not supposed to be here. Talk to St. Faustina. And we invite all of you to continue helping to support this message of mercy. Be a Marian helper. If you look up on your screen, join our Marian family, micprayers.org. I don't care if you ever donate a penny. I don't. It's not what's important. What's important is you start receiving these graces. And through the decree of the Holy See, you receive the graces of our prayers, our masses, our rosaries, just like you were a Marian father. Become a Marian helper. Takes only a few minutes, does not cost anything. Again, I always say, if, if, if you can help us in our ministry, God bless you, thank you, but that's not why, that's not why you're a Marian helper. We're a Marian helper to pray for each other, to do what Faustina did for us, to do what St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila did for us. Their grace from their sacrifices and dark nights are helping us to be here. You don't think you're here by coincidence, you're here by grace. 
Because other saints before you poured grace on the universe and God gave you a portion of it and that's why you're watching. Now other people have despaired and we don't want to lose them. That's why one of the first things I ever did as a priest was write the book after suicide. Brother Mark and Schultz, please, if you know somebody who is suffering from depression and they've lost faith in God, I will send this book for free. I, 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 again, I don't care about the sale of it. I want to get it in the hands of people who will at least be open to God's grace. You see that book and you know somebody struggling with depression, call Peter right now. He's in the office. 413-298-1303 and I'll send it for free. If you can pay for it, God bless you. But I want to get it to those in need. And if you've lost a friend or a relative to suicide, I'll send it for free. And so all of this is divine mercy. And that's why the last thing is understanding divine mercy. Please read about God's mercy. Let it sink into the heart. Go from the head into the heart. We all have it in the head. We got to push it into the heart. Then we can be in spiritual union like St. Faustina. Amen. Amen. Alleluia. Alleluia. And may almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.